Welcome to Christmas Eve. Thank you, someone, for breathing. Uh, and here we are looking at a text that's bittersweet. And I've got to be honest with you, as we look at Christmas, I want us to look at Christmas from a biblical perspective. And there's so many things that aren't in Scripture that we kind of do. And, you know, why is it, let's face it, Rudolph saved Christmas once, right? And then you guys all say, who's this drummer boy? And how do you have a drummer boy and Silent Night? You ever try to figure out how those two reconcile? Anyways, all of that said, let's take a look at our text. Our text is in the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe you're aware of the fact that the Christmas story, if we're really going to be honest, the birth of Jesus is really only recorded in one Gospel. Do you know that? And that's the Gospel of Luke. However, the Christmas story-ish is recorded in only two of the Gospels, obviously the, the story of Luke, where we kind of get the leading up to and the birth of Jesus. And then we get several months later the story we get in Matthew chapter 2. And one of the reasons we'll know that is because it tells us that they show up at the house. Now, what house is the house? Beats me. The nice thing is when the Bible doesn't make it clear, I don't have to write volumes on what it doesn't say. So, but it does say that the one thing I'm sure of, it's a house, because it's the house, so it's got to be a house. So let's take a look at these first 18 verses. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, notice all of them, of the chief priests and scribes, of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and then he's quoting from Micah 5 2. So they know this. He's asking the religious leaders, in essence, the theologians, Well, there seems to be a Messiah coming. Where is he? Where is he going to be? And they say, well, Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Interesting that the religious leaders expected the Messiah to be the shepherd. The very thing Jesus will call himself in John 10. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. You are aware there, in verse 9, that the star moved. You are aware of that, right? This wasn't just a fixed star that they kept searching. This was actually even cooler to follow because this star kept moving until they got to where they were. In others, it was kind of like sat-nav <coughs> for, for wise men 2,000 years ago. 0.0. <clears throat> when they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. Notice when they come into the house. They came and they saw where the young child uh, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasures, and notice, by the way, it only mentions Mary here at this moment. Yeah, it's okay. Joseph will show up later. Um, they presented to him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many gifts? 
Three. How many kings or how many wise men? Doesn't say. Just we know that there are men, so there's more than one. Then, being, div- being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, "Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring word. Bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him." When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I've called my son. That's Hosea 11.1, 1, by the way. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which was determined from the wise men, then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Yeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. That's Jeremiah 31.15. You pray with me, please. Lord, in this time we deem every second. Minister so profoundly. Lord, we have come on this Christmas Eve to encounter you, to be challenged and encouraged and fed and equipped. Lord, many of us are going to be going back to families or situations, Lord, where this is about all the Jesus we're going to get over Christmas. So may we get it in overload, in the best possible way to overflow so that we could shine you in circles, Lord, where you just have not been welcomed before. And you may not even be welcomed this time around, but that shouldn't change our minds. So Lord, please. Please. (coughs) (coughs) Lord, please, today, minister to our hearts and redeem every second and and depth and width. Make this perfect for us we would celebrate you every day of our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Like always, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true. Because I say so, search the scriptures. Let the Bible be the final say. A little over two millennia ago, God tabernacled in baby flesh. He filled nappies. He cut teeth. He learned to crawl and to talk and to walk. I wonder if Mary ever had to say to Jesus, Hey, shut up. Shh, quiet, quiet. Which would be weird. He got colds and flus by nature, but we don't have record of it. He experienced puberty, and then, it, then split history in half, dethroning the devil from hell and death, busting it open and handing us the keys. And I look today and I see so far from that. It seems like there's a resurgence of a fallen, defeated kingdom. And we... The victors who are more than conquerors seem to cower in stone caves while the loser advertises lies. Truth is, we feel like outsiders. We feel like foreigners. Christmas, man. The birth of Jesus. That's what it's about. Nothing else. And yet, here we are on Christmas and we walk around and we feel like it's a completely different Christmas to everyone else, isn't it? from another kingdom. Well, Jesus understood this. I mean, his entrance into his world was much like that, too. I mean, this is kind of what I noticed. Just give me an idea, a couple pictures. Uh, 
This is from uh, the newspaper, give you an idea. You're probably aware of the fact that Christmas was ruined because our favorite fudge has been dropped from Cadbury, right? Probably aware of that. Here's the one that strikes me the most profoundly. Look at that. I don't know about you, but that actually caused me to not want to go there at least through Christmas if ever again. Uh, and I kind of realized that when the kingdom that I'm looking at has no problem with Christmas, except it just needs one thing removed, for instance. Kind of like this. You see, this is kind of the world's view of the nativity. You kind of get that. Now, there, you do realize something's missing from that, right? You do kind of recognize. It actually kind of looks really funny for them all to stand around and look at a batch of hay, right? Well, I want you to realize that if you're, the, if you're anything like me in the sense of this, then you kind of get the idea here that well, you kind of get the idea here that, that Jesus kind of gets this. He steps into another idea of a kingdom, and, and, and it really is. It is a rough and ugly thing. The story begins as we look at it in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And it seems that Jesus is stepping into what seems to be two concurring other kingdoms. The term kingdom is used 54 verses. Uh, kingdom of heaven is used 34 different times in just this particular Gospel. It's exclusive, by the way, to turn the kingdom of heaven to this gospel. On the onset, there appear to be three kingdoms. Jesus's, and we'll talk about that. When we see him, there's Herod's kingdom. We might call that the carnal kingdom. Revelation chapter 16, verse 10 tells us that even the Antichrist himself is mentioned as having a kingdom. And that kingdom is a prince, according to Ephesians 2, 2, the prince of the power of the air. And yet Herod in his kingdom, fighting to get what he has, would offer half of it, up to half of it, for his daughter-in-law who dances in front of him in a drunken, lustful rage, if you will. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. We might call him Herod the Builder. He built the temple, aggrandized it. It was roughly 4,400 square feet, made it 1.2 million. Big overhaul. Built the port of Caesarea, from a place called Stratus that was just this tiny little place, one mile out, this artificial port that he had built, figured out a way to take sand and lime and so forth, and as it dropped in the water and mixed with the water, the pressure as it dropped turned it into concrete. Amazing. Brilliant in that sense. <coughs> Excuse me. He built Masada, his summer palace, if you will, at Herodium. And the guy could build. But he could also build a dynasty out of nothing. It was sort of the Cinderella dynasty. The guy sort of appeared. And understand it was through political marriage. And it was through, in essence, conniving and scheming that he actually wound up getting the place where he was at. And because of that, because that's the way it worked, his dad was Jew. Well, his dad was Edomite. That means he was the descendant, if you will, of Edom, Esau, Jacob's brother, his twin brother. His mom was Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, she was kind of from the area, we might say Arabian today. But through political marriage and good old-fashioned smoozing, the Roman Senate actually declares him the king of the Jews in 40 B.C., roughly. So he takes a campaign to actually get it. And by, within three years, he actually conquers Jerusalem, kills a whole lot of Jewish people in doing so. And because he lived in this sort of place where everything was about scheming, he always assumed somebody else was scheming to do it. You get that, right? If you have to fight to get it, you're going to have to fight to keep it. That's just the way it works. So the guy was paranoid. He was also roughly four and a half feet tall. 
So he wasn't a very impressive guy to look at in that sense. Not that small people aren't impressive to look at. But he was basically this sort of angry, nasty person. And by the time he died, it, wasn't, it was very unpretty. We'll talk about that a little bit in a bit. But get the idea here. To, to him and his carnal kingdom, Jesus was a threat. Let me say that again. To him and his carnal kingdom, Jesus was a threat. Because he didn't have a problem with other people coexisting with him as long as they all submitted to his will. That was the bottom line. They, as long as they were under his tyranny, with no objections or resistance, there wasn't going to be a problem. So how did he deal with his opposition? He sought to kill. That's the way the carnal kingdom works. Is If you really want to stand against them, expect them ultimately to want you dead. It doesn't matter whether they say tolerance, and you understand when a person's yelling tolerance, what they're saying is, you need to tolerate me. It doesn't mean I have to tolerate you. Today, the ruins of Herod's empire are just ruins. That's all there is. Matter of fact, the ruins of the entire Roman Empire are ruins. There is still Italy, but the good news is the Roman Empire wasn't known for its food. Thank the Lord for that, because the one thing that has actually blossomed is the one thing I love, among other things, actually, in Italy. So there was the carnal kingdom, and Jesus was a threat. So to remove it, he would kill every boy two years old and under, not only as we read here in Bethlehem, but everything around it as well. But then there was another kingdom. There was the, I might call it the counterfeit kingdom. It was the religious kingdom because we know about them because they're called in to find out where in the world this Messiah is supposed to be born. That's the second kingdom we would assume here. However, Jesus would call them the sons of the kingdom or they called themselves that in Matthew eight twelve. They believed they had a kingdom to lose because in John eleven forty eight they tell them that if they're convening with each other, they're like, hey, if we let this guy talking about Jesus continue like he is, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They believe they have quite a bit to lose. Interesting, Jesus in twenty three thirteen Matthew twenty three thirteen would say that their kingdom actually shuts out people from the real one. Now. <coughs> Just about the time of Jesus' bar mitzvah, a new high priest steps in. That's their profile guy. In the carnal kingdom, there is the king, Herod. In the counterfeit kingdom, there's the high priest. He's the rock star among the religious. And in 6 AD, steps in a guy named Annas. Annas ben Shit. Seth, we would say. And he, in essence then, for the next 50 years, will be responsible for not only ruling but he'll have five sons and a son-in-law and at least one grandson working in that time. In other words, he was the literal godfather, if you will. I mean, he was brought in, by the way, by Quirinius, the guy who actually imposed the tax. And then he was actually deposed by Valerius Gratus because he was actually getting too powerful. But in the end of it all, even when other people were actually taking the role, he was still pulling the strings. And that's why John will actually call him the high priest, even though he wasn't given the title, but he was operating still in that role, even if somebody else was in front. And in that case, it was his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact with him. In such a case, the Messiah, the king, would have appeared no threat as long as he was willing to submit to his will. Wasn't it the same? As far as the religious leadership, as long as Jesus was willing to fulfill everything the way they had planned it, he was no threat. But the moment that there was any resistance to that, they were going to have a problem. So how did they deal with their opposition? 
their only solution was to kill. And you start to realize that there is no difference between the religious counterfeit empire and the carnal empire of Herod. Today, the ruins that remain at the best are the embers of contemporary Judaism, which is very, very unlike the sacrificial system of its day. Interesting. Because, well, a little less than 2,000 years before this, another baby was born. And that baby was going to be raised up to be a deliverer of Israel. And he was a threat to the man who was in charge at the time named Pharaoh. It was his carnal empire at the time. His, responsibility, his response to all of that was the same, to kill every child two years old and younger, every male. Interesting, you know, to this day in ultra-Orthodox communities, you know, that's the guys that wear the hats or the big long hats or whatever, and they have the payouts, those things on the sides, and they wear those black coats. Do you know that for every boy that is born, they will not give him a haircut for the first three years? Now, that's a little bit surprising, to be honest, because, I don't know, but in some cases, Jewish hair grows really fast. So we've been in Israel. And one of these places called Kafar Kedem, which means ancient village. Were you there for that one? Yeah. And you know, it's like a cool place because you get to thresh your own weed and make your own bread and all of these kind of cool things. I mean, kind of, you know, it's in essence, like the Amish of, Jew- of Israel. And, uh, and in all of that, <clears throat> there's this cute little girl, and she comes popping around, and she's kind of <laughs> laughing with us, and just kind of bubbly kind of thing, you know, two and a half years old. And, you know, we're kind of all there, and we're all making our bread. And all of a sudden, while all of this happens, this cute little thing just drops chow and just starts to stand and pee. It was no girl at all. Just looked kind of like girl kid. I'm like, oh, bro, you haven't... And then, then he tells us the story. And I'm like, so why is it you don't cut anyone's hair of a boy, as long as just a boy, before the age of three. And he's like, I don't really know. I'm like, could it possibly be because twice now men have been singled out two years old and younger? Matter of fact, it had been prophesied, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel, by the way, was one of the mothers of the nations of it, or the tribes of Israel. Now, I want to get into our text, but I want you to realize there is a third kingdom. Well, in the essence of it, there's only two. Be it the carnal or the counterfeit, it's the same thing. There's a guy in charge, and as long as you're willing to crawl underneath that, you know, it, to make him look good, and to keep him in power, everything is good. Because understand, the problem with Herod and the problem with this high priest, and, and by the way, in his day, it, really wasn't, it, was a, it was not as big of a deal. His name was Eliezer ben Boethus. Was that as long as the people did that, they had power. But once the people were gone, they had no power. If all the people were to have left Herod, Herod would have been impotent. He would have had no power whatsoever. The same thing with the high priest. But then there's another king. And he's the king of kings. And that king had power before there was ever a human being. Infinite power. We call him the Almighty. And that king did something very different from these. First of all, that particular king came and clothed himself not in royal robes, but in baby's flesh. That king actually didn't send out advertisements about how cool and important he was, but rather that he was coming to save people. Herod never came to save people. Herod came to kill people and set up his kingdom. The high priest, by the way, never came to save people. The high priest set himself up so that he could be over people. But Jesus, that was different. In Jesus' case, Jesus could have came on a steed with royal robes and just killed everybody that was in opposition because that was the way the world does things. But who would have been left? Jesus came to save So here's the situation now. Our king enters with this 
kingdoms in place. And we read here in verse 1 that there are wise men from the east. Who in the world are these wise men? Were they sitting around reading their horoscopes one day and kind of looked up and saw a star and went, dude, we should follow that? Or is there actually deeper meaning behind all that? Well, might I suggest this to you? Over 2,000 years before Jesus came, we have the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, there is the founder of Judaism, if you will, the, gra- the greatest father of them. We know him as Father Abraham had many sons, right? Well, and we know that. <coughs> Abraham will have as a son Isaac, Isaac will have as a son Jacob. Jacob gets the name Israel. From him comes the nation of Israel. Now, Abraham, interestingly enough, we know the story of that Abraham was 99 years old when God actually impregnated his wife. But she was younger, in fairness. She was 89. And, I mean, and that, what, that was a tremendous miracle. And, of course, we look at the miracle from both sides of that. But I'll be honest, that guy was virile. Because even after that boy was born, Isaac, Sarah, I'm sorry, Sarah, anyways, Sarah will die... But by chapter 25, Abraham gets married again. Maybe you're not aware of that. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Genesis chapter 25 for a moment. I mean, the guy's like 150, 120 years old, and he's actually going and picking it. Now you're going to go, well, maybe this girl's a gold digger. Well, I can't tell you that, but I can tell you this. In Genesis 25, verse 1, it says, Abraham again took a wife. Now this is after Sarah had died. And her name was Kitura. Try that. Could you say Kitura? Now, some of you already have like that kind of natural role and stuff. Kitura. Try that. Kitura. Kitura, by the way, means incense. It's a nice name. And she bore to him a bunch of kids. Now, this may not mean much to you, but there are three names that stand out, and some of you are going to help me with those three names. So if you have a sheet of paper that you were given, and their name is called out, just bark out that name again so they know. She bore to him a guy named Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian. Hey, oh, awesome. See, Midian. Midian, by the way, means brawling. It actually means to kind of crush together. It's what they do with myrrh, for what it's worth. Ishbak and Shua, which I guess is a shoe store, right? Call that Shua? Anyways, six kids. Yokshan begot, begot Shiva. Shiva, which, by the way, means seven or covenant. And Didan. And it's in the Diran, or Ashurim, Letushim, and Leumim. Now, usually you don't read this stuff, right? You just kind of go, blah, 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 blah. let's get back to the narrative. And the sons of Medan were Ifa. Ifa. Ifa, by the way, means hidden, for what it's worth. Ifir, Hanukh, Abida, and Elda'a. Oh, that's a fun name, Elda'a. These were the children of Keturah. Now, of those children that were born... We have three people that sort of we've kind of singled out. The first is Midian, the second is Sheba, and the third is Ephah. Did you notice these were all sons, in one way or another, of Abraham? Are you all with me on that? Okay. Either here or there for you? Well, don't worry. And Abraham gave all that he had to his son Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had while he was still living. And he sent them, what does it say? Where did he send them? Eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Don't miss this. (coughs) So all these boys, including Midian and Sheba and Ephah, are sent east with gifts. 
You all with me on that? Now, God had promised that when he restores Israel, he's going to bring back not just the children of Israel, but the children of Abraham. One of the things I look for when God is going to restore Israel is that God is actually going to bring the sons of Abraham back. Now, I'm starting to look for that. Now, if God's going to bring his sons back, that would include those that are here as well, that had been given gifts and sent eastward. I'm going to send you one more place just to have a little fun. The book of Isaiah. Can you find it? Isaiah chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 60. In chapter 60, verse 6, it says, Then the multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries. Does anyone know what a dromedary is? Yeah, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's not just like a camel. It is very like a camel, because it is a camel. Yes, there's two different kinds of Bactrian and dromedary, and the only difference is one hump or two. All right. It says, the dromedaries of Midian. Does that sound familiar? What do we know about Midian? He's the son of Abraham. And Ephah. What do we know about Ephah? He's the son of Abraham. And all those from Shiva. What do we know about Shiva? The son of Abraham shall come, and they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Did you get that? 700 years before Jesus was born, God promised through Isaiah that these children of Abraham, through Keturah, which by the way means incense, <coughs> that they will come back with their camels, and they will come back and they will bring gold and what else? Incense. Well, what are the two most common incenses of the day? Frankincense and myrrh. I just think that's kind of interesting, don't you? Now, the reason I say that is when wise men from the east show up with these gifts, and I know that, they're, that it had been promised ahead of time, I kind of go, hmm, God, I get, I'm thinking God's going to restore Israel. There's a problem with that. Israel at this moment was no threat to Herod because they were submitted under Herod. And hear me on this, that the religious empire has no threat to the secular world as long as we sit down and shut up and obey and cause no problems with the, with the unsaved world. The moment that we actually stand up and proclaim another king, well, that's where the, thing gets, that's where the problem is. You see, the problem with the religious leadership is they already were busy being lords instead of submitting to one. And that's when you know it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit the moment that the lordship ends with them. That's just the way it works. And we have history of that, don't we? Of people that have set themselves up and that's where the buck stops. They are the lord over the whole thing versus submitting to the lord of lords. Well, there's our problem. Now, let's walk through this with me. Walk through Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, and these guys showed up. These guys showed up, and they show up and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Now, it says that they've been looking, it says, notice, what did they come to do? We've come to worship the king of the Jews. That's a little strange, don't you think, for guys from the east? Yeah, we've come to, you know, it's kind of going, hey, by the way, we heard you guys got a new prime minister. We've come to, to worship him. Where are you from? And now you kind of go, well, what's up with that? Well, it's not that big of a deal when you realize that they're actually distant relatives. 
We've come to worship him. Now this tells me something. That Herod, though being threatened, though the religious empire ultimately being apathetic, and that's what we'll see here in a moment, there are going to be those that are wise that are still going to seek him. But they don't just seek him to define him. They seek him to worship him. And I want you to realize that. My question to you is, which kingdom is really the one you're in? Because you're going to have to pick one. You could be religious, and religious is almost. You're aware of that, right? Almost isn't, though. If Deborah were to say, I shouldn't say, speak on Deborah, I'll say to Hugo. If Hugo said he was almost pregnant, he's still not pregnant. If Mia were to say she was almost married, she's still not married. If Dennis were to say he's almost dead, he's still not dead. And if you were to try to tell the government you almost paid your bill, they would almost let you go. That's the problem with almost. You know? I almost didn't do that crime. I almost didn't punch you. I almost didn't take that thing. That's the problem with almost. And a counterfeit religious empire is an almost empire, an almost Christian empire. But I want to warn you, almost still ain't. You can say, well, it's almost Christian. Oh, that's kind of like saying it's almost legal. Almost legal. We have a word for almost legal. Do you know what it is? Illegal. Yeah, it's still that, right? We don't like that, but it's the truth. But the problem is, is that if Christ really is the Lord, we can't make the rules. In the same way, you can't just go and say, well, you know, I've kind of decided from this point on that all drugs are legal, so it really doesn't matter. I'm just going to carry them with me and try to explain that to the magistrates. I don't think they're going to really, I mean, they're going to put on those powdered wigs and they're going to let you have it. Go, in theory. I mean, the bottom line is no matter what rules you want to make up, you're still a subject. And as a subject, you can't make the rules. Now, hear me on this. In this situation, these wise men have come and they've come seeking Jesus. They've come seeking (coughs) because a star is leading them. And that star is moving. We've noticed that. We've seen a star in the east. We've come to worship him. Now, they didn't, I mean, understand, when they came to worship him, they didn't just come to sing songs. Matter of fact, we don't have anywhere in this that they sing songs until the little drummer boy shows oh, Actually, he doesn't show up at all in this. Uh, you know, we really don't have anywhere in it that they sang, though they might have. What we do know is as far as they're concerned, worship meant that they were going to give him something important. Let me say that again. As far as they were concerned, worship meant they were going to give him something important. So let me ask you something. When it comes to real worship, you've come to worship Jesus, what is it that you're offering are you offering me anything that's actually valuable? Or just a couple moments of your time? Well, we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. The word there is the word, try this word if you want. Tarasso. Tarasso. Tarasso means, like when you know when you're boiling water and it starts to go, and you're watching the kettle and it starts going, okay, that's tarasso. And that's exactly what's happening inside Herod. And it says that he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I remind you, Herod at this moment is a dangerous man. And if he's ruling over people and he's having a bad day, a bad Herod day, if you will, well, definitely everyone else is going to have a bad Herod day as well. 
It's roughly four and a half feet tall, which means he was even smaller than Hugo. Uh, I just, you know, and I think it's interesting that this, you know, that kind of these wise men show up and they kind of look and they're like, okay, you rule this place. With all due respect. Anyway, and so, so they gathered the chief priests. So, so Herod doesn't know. Herod doesn't know where this is. And he's like, wait a minute, this is kind of the first I've heard of this. So this tells me, by the way, where he's kind of like, the prophecy. What about the prophecy? I don't know if he has any of that yet. According to this, he's kind of like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, we've come to worship. Wait a minute, you didn't come to worship me? Wait a minute, excuse me. He'd be like this. Wait a minute, you didn't come to worship me? What are you talking about? And he's kind of like Danny DeVito. Do you remember him? You know, kind of like that kind of character. Oh, it's better. Wait till you, wait, anyway. He's like, what do you mean? I, I was supposed to be the end of it all. No, 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 no. This is it. I mean, do you have a star that's moving to lead us to you? Oh, no. I mean, this is the God who made the, the heavens so he can move those things around any way he wants. You, did you do that? No, you built things that stay. God can move them any way he wants. And he's like, oh. And now Herod has to play coy, right? He's like, oh, so, hmm. Maybe we should find out together. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think I want to worship him too. There's no starts to go. You get it. Let's call the experts in. Yeah, that counterfeit kingdom, that religious empire. I want to warn you, the religious empire here has the truth. And by the way, we don't read it. It took them any time at all. In other words, if they were playing one of those trivia games, they would so nail it, and yet they would lose in life. You know those kind of people, they can give you great advice, they just can't take it themselves. You know, they always say it. sometimes it's like the plumber's house has the worst plumbing. That's kind of the idea. Okay, so, call them all in. Sorry, you know, theologians tell me, where, where is he going to be? Yeah, where? Because I just, I think I'd like to find out too. Well, uh, Micah 5.2 tells us that it should be Bethlehem. Why, Beth, do you know why he has to be born in Bethlehem? That's where David was born. And that was the greatest king that's ever been. And they're looking for a king. And of course, that's the case. He has to come from the lineage of David. So he has to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem. Okay. Perfect. Oh, goody. All right, you guys, you wise men, you go first. And you go and, hey, mate, is that gold? Where are you going with that gold? Oh, you're going to offer that to this. Now, I don't read anywhere in this that Herod has a clue that it's a baby. Do you get that in this? They're like, well, wait a minute. The Messiah must be born here. Does that mean that he's actually just born? Or has he been there for a while? Well, apparently somewhere in all of it, I guess he's going to discover because he's going to kill kids two years old and younger. Now he's threatened by a baby. So wait a minute. It just came up from a king to it's a baby king? Oh, this is an easy problem. They're, they're defenseless. They're no threat. We can kill them all. Think of this. She says, okay, you guys go first. And when you find them, let me know where. And then he finds out that he isn't going to find out where. So let's just remove the problem altogether. And he kills every boy. The thing he didn't realize is he's dealing with God. And because he's dealing with God, God has already removed Jesus before this. God knows ahead of time. Now here's Christmas, and here we are celebrating God coming in the flesh. But I want you to realize, when God came in the flesh 2,000 years ago, he was not welcomed by the religious community or by the secular community. And he came to transform both. 
Do you really think that this Christmas that the secular world's going to roll over and expect great things to happen for Jesus? The question is, is there anyone at all that is excited about Jesus really coming as he did? Well, yes, wise men are. And I'd like you to be one of them. I'd like you to be the one that's like, look, it, I'll go where I need to go and I'll follow where I need to follow, but I'm going to go and find this Jesus and I'm going to kneel before him and I'm going to give what's valuable to me to him and say, this is it. And that's my life. I'm just going to give him to you. Just take it, please. And how weird would that be to kneel before a baby? Now, we don't get that, but I'll be honest. England's had history of that. We've Actually, some of you countries, you've had that. Well, you've had baby kings, and you realize sooner or later, it's like you, you, now, you, you kneel kind of going, all right, sooner or later you're going to grow up, and I'm going to have to follow your rules anyways. But this was the same king who created the heavens and the earth, and here he is in all of that, beloved, hear me, in all of that. We are kneeling before a baby going, this makes no sense at all, except for the fact that this baby had no beginning. And ultimately, God's like, no, don't go back to Herod. You guys get out of here. And there is a kingdom that isn't going to be welcoming this Jesus. But let's just be honest. Inside us, all those three things exist. Inside me, there's a part of me that wants to make me the boss, wants to make me the end of it all. And that part's not going to welcome Jesus unless he actually just does what I want. And there's whole churches like that. You know that. You tell God your dreams, and you tell God everything you want, and then it's going to be just fine. Is that really what you want? Well, then we're going to be no better than Herod. All right, God, give me the car, give me the house, give me the money, give me the girl, give me the job, and we're good. And if you don't, we're, all, we're both going to have problems. Well, then we're no better than Herod. Well, okay, but I'll pray some, and I'll get baptized, and I'll... Make sure that I, that, you know, that I'm, I'm at church every once in a while and I want to make sure that, you know, I, I carry my Bible and, well, then we're no better than the counterfeit. Because in the end of it all, we're still trying to make ourselves the end of it. But in the end of it all, there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of everything else. The difference is that no other king's going to die for you. The funny part is, is on the other kingdom, you're busy trying to make yourself the, the end of it all. And in Christ's kingdom... He makes you the end of it all in his own heart. I mean, you make you the focus in the first part, and the second one, Christ makes you the focus. Which one do you really want? So you try to lift yourself up so other people think you're cool, and in this one, God actually dies for you. So hear me as we go to prayer in this. In the end of it all, those chief priests, they actually have the information, but they go nowhere with it. And I don't want that to be you either today. Jesus didn't just come and clothe himself in baby flesh so that we could actually have a really cool manger scene. Jesus came and clothed himself in baby flesh so that he could say, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to struggle and to suffer. And I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to actually be disappointed and have big dreams and have people flake on you. And I know what it's like to, to, to really kind of expect something and then to be blindsided. I know what it's like to watch adults let you down. I know what it's like to watch friends let you down. I know what it's like to kind of hope and not see it happen. I mean, he's, he's lived that life with us. So we can't approach him and go, well, of course you, God, you know everything, but you don't know what it's like to feel this kind of pain. And he goes, oh boy, do I. You could say, well, you don't know what it's like to, to feel the, the, the effects of sin. And do you know what the crazy part is? That Jesus felt all the effects of sin. He just never, all of the the payment for sin. He just never experienced the sin. All of the grief, all of the guilt, he took it on his own shoulders. 
And when he took it on his own shoulders, he did that so that he could pay for it so you wouldn't have to. Now today, as we go to prayer, my question to you is, on this time when Jesus comes and he manifests himself to a world that either is going to go, oh, okay, well, I got the information, but do nothing, or worse yet, I just want him gone. Will we welcome him? Will we come and lay our lives before him and say, today, Jesus, I want to worship you. Because he came to be received as Lord and not just Savior, but as Lord. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this text. I thank you that on this day we could celebrate the gift that you gave us by sending your son to clothe himself in flesh, to tabernacle, so that we today could celebrate new life in you. That you would go from the cradle to the cross to the crown of glory. And we confess to you, Lord, there are parts of us that are completely heretic because what we really want is for us to be the Lord of our own destinies. Somehow we think we know best. But we're no better off than the high priest who would do the same religiously or Herod that would do so secularly. And what's crazy is that Herod was somebody that was even half from Abrahamic descent himself. And yet, in all of that, all he would want is his own. And it hurts me to think how we could pursue stuff that just makes no sense in the end. And here's Herod. According to historians, said that he had a fever, an intolerable itching over the whole skin, continuous pains in the intestines, Tumors in the feet as if drops the inflammation of the abdomen and gangrene in the privy parts. Body stenching, breath reeking, internally wormed, midsection gangrened and insane. And what does he have for it? All of that stuff meant nothing. And I just prayed on this Christmas, Lord, that we would not remove you from the nativity. Because it seems like the world doesn't seem to have a problem with wise men as long as they're not seeking you to bow down to you. They don't have a problem with shepherds until they show up at the manger. It's like all the other stuff is just fun and gift-giving and mince pies and seeing relatives, and yet in all of that, the, the only reason any of this makes sense is because you came to earth. She didn't come to earth just to be a baby, to grow up. You came to earth to take our sins upon yourself and pay for them on the cross so that they could be properly punished. May we never forget that this Christmas. And because of that, we've gladly denounced all other kingdoms in our heart and ask you to be the Lord of all. And I pray today that our hearts would be available to you to let you rule as you should.
So here in this room right now, Lord Jesus, we say yes to your gift at the cross. You coming to stand in our stead. And for that, you had to clothe yourself in flesh and blood because you tell us, since we are of flesh and blood, you yourself clothed yourself in the same that you through death would deliver us, Lord. And I want to thank you for that. That you've delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, Father, into the Son you love. And we just pray that you would be the Lord of our lives, not just Savior, and so that we could try to still rule, but Lord, we step off that throne and gladly give you the throne where you belong. I pray this Christmas we could shine you to this world around us. Please, Lord, have your way. We commit ourselves to you, Jesus, today, receiving your gift and saying, yes, please be Lord of our lives. Jesus, in your name,